0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Speech Guys listener. This is Mike, recording our first ever actual intro for a podcast. Today's episode is the speech given by Pope John Paul II in June 1979 in Warsaw, Poland. This is a homily that he had given uh, during his visit there to Communist Poland, mind you, uh, which was a uh, particularly challenging environment for the Catholic Church to grow and thrive in. So with this episode, talking about this speech, we have myself, Ross, Landon, Matt, and special guest star, uh, Father Rob Johnson of the Diocese of Springfield, who is Ross's better-looking Perhaps older brother. Their voices sound extraordinarily similar, so you'll have to do your best to try to keep up uh keep up with each of their particular sounds on there. So we hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you later. I will talk to you later.
1: When you
2: see the world. It will give you eyes,
1: give you hope, it'll give you perspective I've been back and forth, and yeah, I had my crashes Now I've seen the road, it goes every direction We are, we're, we're the speech guys, uh, and we have a full house today on the call on this new episode new series we're talking about some new things tonight we've got michael schaefer matt schultz ross g johnson myself landon free and a special guest father rob johnson and our host for this program is ross well i'll turn it over to you
3: thank you landon so i'll just do a quick shout out to the guest tonight so uh, Father Rob Johnson is a priest for the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. He's a host of a co-host of the popular podcast Three Dogs North, and he's related to one of your regular hosts, and you have to wait to the end to find out, everyone. So for tonight's speech, we um, we decided to switch it up a little bit. We've been in America, we've been in U.S. history, we've been kind of in a little bit of a rut there. We felt like so. Um, we decided to, to switch the theme a little bit. So I was kind of thinking, so far we've done a ton of politicians. A lot of political speeches, presidents, things like that. Um, so I was kind of just trying to think of, or me and Mike were talking, uh, and we were just kind of trying to think of other world-shaping things. And what, what else is there other than religion? So we decided to do this next theme is speeches about God. We're um, speaking...
0: Yes, Mike. Where where were we discussing this topic for a new speech series?
3: I believe we we're in my car, but we we're on the way to Landon's wedding. So you're right. We should all give it. We're going to toast uh, Landon. Our, you guys have probably noticed he's been gone a little bit this summer. He was busy getting ready for the wedding. So our fans, they've missed him. He's back. He's married. He's got a big old ring on his finger. Cheers to Landon and Lauren. Cheers. It was great. It was a fun night. I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Landon, when I walked up to the bar at first, I saw the prices, and I thought that it was a not-open bar. Not only that, but it was like 6 or $7 per beer. I was going to rip up the check I gave you. <laughs> it was just like Kena. No miracles needed, though. Just the miracle of love.
3: Yeah, Landon was getting married. For the viewers, Mike met a girl. We'll see what happens. All right. So, to be maybe in like
0: <laughs> more like next thousand episodes. <laughs>
3: all right, all right. So let's get back to the speech. So good for Landon. Good for Mike. Maybe we'll find out in a thousand episodes. Um, but yeah, so we're we're doing speeches about God. Yeah. So to take us back, I decided in the birth of the podcast, back on the old Stillwater days, um, we did a speech by Pope John Paul II uh, when he traveled to Poland in the late 1970s. Um, he was Pope. He goes to Poland and he gives um, it's at Mass. He gives his homily, but um, we'll say we'll call it a speech for tonight. Um, to the people there so that I thought, you know, it was one of the first ones we did Let's revisit it now that we have some experience and more life knowledge and see see what we Get from it. Um, so I found it. I think it's also Interesting. and We'll probably get a little bit more to it in the speech and you guys can jump in But I think a lot of the speeches we talk about are cool because they have a they kind of have a world impact You know, they they their presidents their leaders. We talked about the major world wars all these things um and I just think it's somewhat unique that we don't maybe, that, the, 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 that this particular speech kind of seems to mix the two, right? It's de- it's, I mean, it's the Pope, he's giving a homily at Mass, and yet at the same time, it starts, it was the, and we'll get into it more, the, in the beginnings of a cultural, rev- cultural revolution that pre- that helped to end communism in Eastern Europe. So in a lot of ways, this speech, even though it definitely is a speech about God and fits under religious speeches based on the content, Um, I don't know. I just thought it also tied in really well with kind of our little bit of a theme trying to, you know, kind of world events type type ideas. So anyway, that was kind of part of why I chose it. Um, I don't know. Should we should we just read some excerpts? What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, let's hear an excerpt. Let's hear from John Paul II himself. Get us started.
3: All right. Let's let the man speak for himself. That's a good call. So um, it's not that long. Um, It probably takes five minutes to read through. I kind of picked two specific parts that I thought were interesting that I think we could unpack a little bit here on the speech, guys. So um, I'll start with the first one. So again, this is John Paul II in Poland.
0: What what year is it? Uh, I believe, was it
3: 1978? No, 1979? Yeah, he was... He, right. he became Pope in 1978. This is 1979. Rocky II has come out. So, Rocky hasn't even met Ivan Drago yet um, to do his part in the downplay of communism. So, um, we'll start with JP2 then. So, here's here's the quote. To Poland, the church brought Christ, the key to understanding that great and fundamental reality that is man. For man cannot be fully understood without Christ, or rather, man is incapable of understanding himself fully without Christ. He cannot understand who he is, nor what his true dignity is, nor what his vocation is, nor what his final end is. He cannot understand any of this without Christ. Therefore, Christ cannot be not kept out of the history of man in any part of the globe, at any longitude or latitude of geography. The exclusion of Christ from the history of man is an act against man. Without Christ, it is impossible to understand the history of Poland, especially the history of the people who have passed or are passing through this land. The history of people. The history of the nation is above all the history of people, and the history of each person unfolds in Jesus Christ. In him, it becomes the history of salvation. First thoughts. Anybody?
0: I think one of the interesting points that I observed... Um, within this segment, but more clearly through the sermon as a whole, uh, rough guess, I think the sermon's probably like 2,000 words or so, um, is how he just, I mean, it's obviously a spiritual exhortation at the most important level, but also at the same time, it is sort of like covertly, um you know, subversively political. You know, it seems like communism, you know, feel free to call me out if this is inaccurate. You know, communism seems to be a way of, like, sort of giving up your identity for the sake of the common good, you know, if you will. And John Paul II throughout this sermon and this segment, like, keeps going back saying, no, no, that is not the way to think of your identity in this sort of, like, diluted, sort of lowest common denominator sense. Rather, it's understood first and foremost through Christ, and that sort of becomes the lens through which you end up building up Uh, nation through poland and he goes goes on later in the sermon emphasizing poland as a nation and how saint stanislaus um was this important figure spiritual figure for poland as a nation so yeah i i thought it was um just really interesting how he was so subtle and artful, but spiritually constructive uh, at the same time within this within this sermon. So,
1: yeah, I don't think I've ever read or heard anything from such a high spiritual leader um, tying Christ to like post um, to kind of almost modern modernity and history and like speaking specifically to a people group at such a high stage and trying to corral the you know their recent total culture as a country um and tie that in with identifying it with Christ I think I think in some ways it's like was he was speaking in just that nuanced political cultural tone to like bring them into um, welcome them into Christ and the kingdom, um, but I, I don't think I've ever, yeah, rather or kind of seen anything quite like it. From I, th- I think it's interesting too, because
3: like Mike said, you know, he said, you know, the, you know, that, you know, he kind of in his he kind of you know said the identities in christ not in this commun- in communism right but at the same time um he doesn't necessarily like that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be like that their nation and like group at grouping in that way is not important like he says later um it's right to understand the history of the nation through man each human being of this nation at the same time man cannot be understood apart from the community that is constituted by the nation so like that line is you know kind of the Seems like the abstract idea, but then it's pretty apparent he's very proud to be from Poland and returning to Poland um, and all that. So like, just because it's you know that he's telling me your your identity shouldn't be in this, you know, communist state, whatever, that doesn't mean that it's not important that you know you are a Polish people still. So yeah, just I mean, he did it. It's kind of it feels it's probably it was probably it seems like it'd be kind of tough to get your point across because those ideas seem like they could be conflicting, but he seems to not, I mean, get it apart, across very clearly.
4: Yeah, it's an interesting interplay between how he he discusses, it's an interesting interplay between how he discusses just how things kind of work out, right, like on the level of the individual versus the level of the nation. Um, and then um, also just... Um, What am I trying to say here? I guess just put kind of through all of these things. So, like, you know, the Swiss cheese thing, right? So, like, supposedly, if you add up enough layers of Swiss cheese, you can't see through it, right? But any slice is going to have holes. Like, he almost kind of threads Christ through the Swiss cheese of communism, Polish culture, Polish history, and individualism. You know, because like that's interesting like interesting metaphor, man. I feel like it'd thing. only take
0: like three slices of Swiss cheese until he couldn't see through <laughs> it anymore. It was just right.
4: like, <laughs> well, yeah, you get what I mean, I think. But um, yeah, like it, it's it seems like this is just the the uh, he finds he finds the under, underpinning of like all of these things that he needs to address, um. Yeah, and just kind of hits it really hard. Um, so,
0: yeah, I, th- I think those yeah I think those are all pretty good uh, apt assessments there. I, I think a question I have is, what the heck was he speaking into? I mean, what what did Poland even look like in 1979? I mean, yeah, everyone had just seen Rocky two, but what el- what else do we know about that? Was there did someone research that? Maybe Father Rob went to go research it right now at the library. <laughs> he just got back.
3: So, Father sorry. Rob,
0: you... we want, we're looking for someone to fill us in on what was going on in Poland in 1979 other than Rocky II. So, you know, what, what was going on in the audience's mind?
2: Yeah, I mean, a brief history of like maybe Poland and Karol Wojtyła, like in. In particular, would be so. Poland always has this throughout history, both a history of being persecuted, but also uh, like a deeply rich culture. Um, and so, like many many saints are from Poland throughout throughout the centuries. But in particular, then the twentieth century was there was two occupations in Poland. So the Nazis would have occupied. Uh, Poland in like the World War II era and then like right you know after that then here come here come the communists and so the history of Watiwa I mean is is fascinating so he was he would have been ordained a priest in a, a clandestine seminary which was a totally hidden um seminary like a an underground seminary I think the guy that ordained him was Cardinal Sapieha of, uh, Krakow. And, um, and so like you have, what you have to understand about John Paul II at this particular moment is, is that his belief in culture will Trump, you know, pretty much like everything else. So for example, like he, he chose, like when he was young he didn't fight in the in the war but he wasn't a pacifist he just thought culture was the more powerful thing so he joined the theater group in order to pass on polish culture in order like to to continue that when he was elected archbishop of krakow you know they the the communists at the time like didn't take him very seriously um and he turned out to be this just formidable foe to them because of his understanding of the people, because of his understanding of human nature and, and how you spread culture. So like one of my, the most emblematic of those things would be a little town called Nova Huta, which Nova Huta is um, just outside of Krakow today. You can go visit it. And the communists designed it to be a completely atheistic town. Um, and so when he was a young auxiliary bishop of Krakow, he would go out there and he, uh, he would have Christmas Eve in the fields, Christmas Eve mass in the fields of Nova Huta. And um, they eventually built a church there. And so where this place that God wasn't supposed to be allowed, he realized the whole time that that's actually what the human heart is, is longing for. So that's just in John Paul II's bones. It's in how he speaks. It's in how everything um, he does. Krakow in general, like if you've never been there, it's one of the best cities in in the world because it's completely preserved. Um, and so that's where he would have... He, would, he, grew, he grew up in Wadavica, uh, which is about an hour outside of Krakow. But Krakow is like... Oh my gosh, it's... Um, I've heard it compared to like Prague maybe as a comparison as far as like the cultural influence of it, but it's, it's still very, it's very accessible to go to today. It's very cheap to go to today. The Jagiellonian university is where Votiwa would have went um, when he was young. And the two most famous, you know, pupils of the Jagiellonian university would be Karol Votiwa and Copernicus. Um, so those are the two kind of, and many others, but two of the major figures that came out of there. Um, anyway, so that's a little bit about him, like what he's thinking about in coming back to to Poland. So it's this people that for like decades and generations have been told that they're, they've, they've been tr- their, tr- their culture has tried to have been wiped out like again and again, and they've held on to their culture. The only other thing to know like about the speech in particular, what's so significant about it, is that when the Pope speaks, what's, what's very unique about it is that he does speak as a spiritual leader, but he also speaks as a head of state. Um, so that's why some of the dynamics are so tricky like in this that he's able to, to navigate. So another good speech for you guys to examine at some point, I think it's in 1995 that John Paul II talks to the United Nations and it's one of like kind of the great um, I, political in the true sense of the word not in, not in the modern like polarization of politics but but trying to reach men and women of goodwill like his his 90s UN speech is one of the greatest ever as an example of that So Votiwa has this like kind of trial by fire, understanding of suffering he's obviously a world-class intellect he's navigated like harsh persecutions as a leader on top of that when I was in Krakow um, a few years ago and it was very interesting so like the tour guide that took us to Auschwitz was you know he wasn't that old but um, he remember he was old enough to remember like when he was little Cardinal Wojtyla like going around for confirmations and everything like that. He's from Krakow. Um, but he was saying that in Poland, the leaders of the people were the bishops. Like it wasn't really the government. The government had had, in a sense fled during the different persecutions, but the bishops were very, very strong um, throughout the 20th century in Poland. So Sapieha was the guy who ordained Wojtyla and then another like big figure from that time would have been the Archbishop of Warsaw, which is, I think, it, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it would be like Wyszynski is his name. Very big mentor towards Watiwa. But then Watiwa is elected John Paul. So John Paul brings all of this experience like back to, to Poland where this kind of drama then of communist oppression in the 20th century is going to take center stage. And that's the unique thing about him as both a spiritual leader and a head of state is that from his belief in who Jesus is, is that he can speak to all men and women of goodwill. And so that's where you start to get a lot of his language um, of like Christ being the, the center of human history and that he can talk to men about the, the human experience through the person of Christ. So to understand that, you'd have to read a, probably like his first encyclical, which was Redemptoris hominis, which came out a couple months before this. Um, but that's kind of the foundation that he's standing on here in order to to give this this homily.
3: So two things. One, I guess, yeah, and you kind of said it, but just to make sure all of our <clears throat> maybe non-Catholic li- listeners know Carol Wati- uh, Carol Watiwa, was his name and then changed to name to John Paul II when he was elected Pope. So just in case anybody was lost. Um, but I think the thing, um, that kind of jumped out to me from all of that was like, okay, so you've got this, you know, John Paul II, he's from Poland. He has all this experience, you know, he suffered a lot. Um, I know he also lost a lot. I mean, all of his immediate family, I think was, had died by the time he was like 20 years old, his parents, his siblings, um, So he just had all this experience with, with loss himself being from Poland with all these oppressions and things. Um, But I think something that stuck out to me was just how uncomfortable I think it would make most people in America today to think about how much power, not like political in the sense of like passing like laws and stuff, but how much influence I guess um, religious figures have. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, we kind of in the States, you know, they were pretty comfortable with, you know, pastors preaching from the pulpit and church on Sunday. But that's about all that they're, you know, that people want to hear, you know, they don't, you know, um, you just hear that a lot, you know, separation church state, all that stuff. So I just think it was interesting that, you know, you have this religious figure pretty much not taking on the government by any means, because obviously he wasn't advocating for force or anything like that, but definitely speaking very publicly to a huge audience in the country After he's been invited into it, um, or maybe not invited, but after he's come into the country, uh, I just think that's it. And, you know, for the people there, it was this great thing. They welcomed him back. This son of Poland has returned. But I just kind of thought about that. I feel like, like, how do you guys feel like people in the States today would handle a religious figure with that much, you know, uh, clout or sway or influence?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, the Polish people wanted that influence. <laughs> I mean, today, you know, the portion of Americans that want religious, explicitly, mind you, religious influence is uh, is fairly small. Um, one thing that sort of stuck out to me from what Father Rob was saying And obviously, Josh, was other things I was reading on John Paul II, and just things I remember, is just this emphasis on the role of, I guess you would say, culture in evangelization, right? And so when we say culture, I mean, we think of things, yeah, religion is obviously an element of culture, but you think of other forms of art, food the way families are raised, you know, what schooling looks like, what comedy even looks like. I think that's an interesting point, like what comedy looks like and what that says about your culture at a particular point in time. But anyway, to sort of like tie it to communism, it's like I wonder what did communist culture look like? Because without being like too super – political this particular point in the episode. You know, one of the sort of I don't if you guys I don't know if you guys ever listen to Bill Maurer. He's sort of like become one of these people who is on the left but criticizes the far left. And one of the points he makes is something to the effect of like just how humorless the far left is, right? Like just the inability to make fun of themselves. Which is as John Paul II recognized is a really important part of culture. And is that a kind of like indicator, if you will, to the capacity for a particular kind of government to endure? Like, right. If people cannot laugh in a way that resonates in the context of this broader system of living, does it even have the capacity to endure? Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I know laughter. I think was it? I don't know Aristotle probably um, just described that as like, or I think risibility is kind of the old term. But um, like laughter is basically a sign that there's some sort of reason in a thing, right? So if we live in a culture where laughter or, or yeah, just making light of things is so um, yeah, it's just not a lot. I think that's that's kind of a sign of lack of reasonability. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I think it just speaks to the deep understanding of what it means to be human. Not like, not just theology or like these kind of abstract ideals, but JP too, just throughout his life, even as like a, a priest before he really got, um, a lot of, uh, I guess a higher degree of authority, um, was just really seemed to understand because I know he did a lot of like youth group stuff with families going on hikes and skiing and stuff. Um. And just really had a sense for, for humanity, which, uh, which is obviously a big deal. And I don't know if this is too early to, to throw this in, but there is an interesting memorandum that – because, you, Mike, you mentioned, that, you know, what, what is Soviet what – did, what did communism look like in Poland at this point? Um, so there's a memorandum sent to the Soviet school teachers in Poland uh, about JP2. Um, and it reads, the pope is our enemy. Due to his uncommon skills and great sense of humor, he is dangerous because he charms everyone, especially journalists. Because he goes for cheap gestures in his relations with the crowd, I'm going to skip forward here. Uh, because of the activities of the church in Poland, our activities designed to atheize the youth not only can not, can, not only cannot diminish, but must intensely develop. So yeah. You mentioned the humor you mentioned uh, or I mentioned, I guess, is just uh, kind of understanding of humanity. And I think that's very, very adept that the Soviets like really picked up on that. And we're very, very uh, consciously trying to work against it.
2: Yeah, I, I like that, Matt. That's I've never heard that. That's really good. Um, and I think to keep going back to understand the significance of the speech Um you know, keep going back to the context of what the Polish people would have been feeling at the time. And even so like John, John, Paul's whole, a little bit more context on him too, but his whole thing of the human person is that a human person can never be a means to an end ever. Um, and so that's, that's really where you get his whole like theology of, of the body. That's where it's grounded in so much of his work and teaching is in that, and he takes that from Immanuel Kant, who you know is not a Catholic philosopher by any means, but he kind of baptizes that. And so he's telling these people that that's why it's so important to understand this as like it is a homily, yes, it's coming from the Pope, but he is speaking here to human beings, he's not just speaking to Catholics. Now, predominantly, the people in Poland that were listening to him. Yes, we're probably Catholic, um, but to really grasp the the significance of the person and the moment, and like why it is why it had the impact that it did, is he speaking to, to each person who have been told by this philosophical system that they've been governed by that they are in fact a means to an end; they're this like cog in a machine at, at their essence. And that's what he's speaking to them. No, like that's not true. That's not who you are. And then he answers that with the person of Jesus Christ. But he's giving that like a rational grounding to address the human person.
3: So like thinking about the people he's speaking to then
2: first of all, Matt, yeah, that, I don't know, I'd not, I
3: did not get that either, I don't know if you didn't post that in the outline or what, that memoriam, memorandum, I can't talk, but um, looking right at it, Ross okay, alright, it's probably in there, yeah, yeah, I wrote the outline but, um, that's just like terrifying, that they, I mean I don't know, to me, just that. just, I mean, I guess we haven't talked a lot about, I guess we're kind of assuming our listeners kind of understand a little bit, maybe the oppression of this communist government and regime, but um man that's just scary but uh anyway so now, t- can yeah go ahead, jump can, can in I go
0: comment just a little bit more on that memorandum if you will you know <laughs> you you read that and yeah it frankly from our position it sounds like something from like 1984 right a, something that someone wrote something that's not real Right. Like, oh, how can someone get to that point where they would articulate their themselves that way? But, man, what I've learned, you know, it's partly from just growing up, right, growing old and kind of giving a little bit more of a nuanced interpretation of being human. But, man, people, I mean, I've heard this on so many different podcasts of so many different. Um I guess you just to put it very simply, like philosophical positions recently over the past year, it's like people have and Father Rob would be great to kind of comment on this a little bit, like you know, Nietzsche said God is dead, right? And often a misinterpretation of that is like he was celebrating that was well, it was more like just an observation of the way that culture was going. It's like God's dead, and I from what I remember, if you keep reading or read before that this is all secondhand from the art of manliness primer on Nietzsche. (laughs) Their point is that, um, no, he was emphasizing like God is dead. Now he didn't believe in God. I don't think, but he recognized that formal religion had such a critical knitting effect on society. Right. And yeah, we can reject God generally as a society explicitly, but we will find a space for God slash religion slash things that are, you can't exactly prove, but they're still somewhat expressed in reality, right? And, oh uh, gosh, I, <laughs> let me tidy up this thought a little bit. The point is, oh gosh, how could I tidy up this thought? Bring it home. 17 seconds, Mike. You, you see, I read this memorandum. I think of different things that you see expressed in current events today. And similar to this, not that it sounds the same, but it sounds similar in its sort of religiosity, right? In an age where we're like, oh, no, we're not religious. Or at least a lot of voices sort of express that. But so... Might edit that bit out. But anyway, <laughs> maybe some little bit fell there.
2: Give me a 10 second recap of what you just said, Mike.
0: <laughs> Look at that. What a great <laughs> podcaster. Um, yeah, looking at the memorandum that Matt uncovered there, the Pope is our enemy due to his uncommon skills, et cetera, et cetera. We can read that today from modern perspective, I think a lot of people, and be like, oh my gosh, that sounds so crazy, that sounds so propagandic, that sounds so unfounded in reality. Um, But thinking about different ways that certain intellectuals comment on the state of society, with respect to things, you know, things like COVID or anti-racism in the academic sense of the word, um, they appear in this context, social context, where religion, organized religion, has taken sort of a back seat. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that like religion is just wired into us. And we see that in this sort of like Soviet propaganda, they tried to get rid of religion. Right. But it just manifested itself in this other way, like this really ugly way. Right.
2: So even that, that ties back into uh, like just a discussion of culture, which that's, that's John Paul's, that's his great emphasis and everything that he does. Culture is cult. So it, it comes from worship. So in a sense, your culture is based on what you worship. Like that's the, the kind of the basic way to understand how to uh, build a, a culture. And then now it's like, okay, go to, like, w- we also have, it's even a very sympathetic reading to these times, to the communists of the of these times would be like, well, there's obviously some appeal to, like to something like communism, to like Marx's manifesto, you know, I mean, things like that, that, that it, it does speak to people in a certain way because of the masses that it has kind of mobilized throughout, throughout history. But ultimately what is lacking in it, it, at least like how we would understand it today is it just doesn't have an understanding of human nature at, at its core of like, no, you're exactly right like you'll always have a religious people that's that that is wired wired into us. And so an interesting like maybe even like postmodern move to that is go visit go visit Krakow today that is kind of untouched because and it's untouched actually because the Nazis lived there so they didn't destroy the buildings there. But it's this colorful city and it has these like magnificent churches. And um, yeah, it's the most Catholic place that I've ever been to, honestly. But like you don't have to be Catholic to, to love it there because, it, again, it's just it's the most like unique and alive place that you could ever that you could ever go to versus go to a city that like um, the the communist philosophy built. So like portions of Warsaw or... Wherever, you know, I mean, that, that's many, many cities that you could go to today. What what do you see? Like it's gray, it's drab, it's um, there's a certain like sterilization of of life like through through that mentality. So you can you can kind of answer that in a way of, yes, you're absolutely right. We are religious in our bones of like we're going to find something to worship and a unique for like our era, I think, opportunity then is to say, well go like go see what matches up to your experience. Go speaks go see what speaks to you most deeply as a human being that you know, wants to to love in in your life and wants your, your life to be about something bigger than than yourself. And you can start to like get a grasp on not not necessarily the scale of a John Paul II but like that emphasis of culture that he's talking about here.
3: So, thinking about and just jumping forward a little bit then, so um, just to keep things moving, but so we've got this Polish culture that John Paul II is trying to build up, this people that have been oppressed, that you know has this longing for you know more and to be told that they're not a cog in a wheel. So, um, like a couple of cool things I think. So, to kind of get in t- away from <clears throat> the him giving it and his time there in Poland, but, like, then the reception of it. So we we got to still cover that, right? So, like, what did the people, how did they receive it? Um, so during the – I saw a couple different things. So I don't know if we know the exact number, but the people started chanting when he was speaking, we want God. And I believe – was there a million people there? Was that the number? Two – what was the – does anybody remember? Two million.
0: Two million. Not, not the world record of 10 million. Not or- – a certain man's funeral i ran but it's a different wikipedia page different podcast
3: so not the biggest event ever but two million people is a lot of people and the two million people in attendance which i believe the soviets had told people like uh videoing it to not show how big the crowds were again because they just didn't want to admit the influence that he was having um but two million people started chanting we want god for 15 minutes And I was just like, that's almost... Sorry, population of Poland, is that what you got? I mean, that's huge, right? And they start chanting this for 15 minutes. Like, I mean, yeah, so just like, I think one, just like how much they clearly wanted or needed to hear it, but also just like how terrifying that probably was for the... Because there were some government representatives there, right? So it's like, they pretty much have this man who we're telling school teachers to teach about how terrible he is, that we don't want to be here, and we're lying about how many people have come, and a a pretty large percentage of the population comes to hear him speak and starts chanting, we want God for 15 minutes. Um, I mean, that's just almost unbelievable. And just thinking about, like, and obviously we can talk about what that led to then, Um, But I'm sure that it was not well received by the communist leadership um, of Poland at the time.
0: I think one interesting thing to me that I sort of gained a little bit better appreciation as I studied uh, for this episode. You know, we tend to have this notion of communism as like this. I mean, yeah, it, it was, or I mean, it is a bad thing, right? But the way that it expresses itself, it's not like these communist leaders, you know, the people were chanting, we want God, and then they like sprayed them with bullets or something like that, right? <laughs> there's like, a, there's a certain sort of um, deafness is a little bit too complimentary of a word, but it's close enough to what I'm looking for, like deafness to the communist leaders, right? Yeah, they obviously took the lives of certain people when it was necessary, quote unquote. But at the same time, they were still very much wrestling with people and ideas in a way that was, um, familiar or civil, if you will, is maybe one way to think about it. Um, I don't necessarily know what the point of that thought is other than it's just a little bit more of a nuanced way to think about things. Maybe, I guess, a a point to put on that thought is that we think that evil is just all of the time this just reigning terror that, like, comes in and just spits and tears and rips. But, no, I mean, it is also engaging civilly, quote-unquote, with society at the same time. So. You know, I just remember like as a teacher I was talking to another friend about this recent, or at some point in the past couple of years. It's like I think a lot of time people have this idea like evil only manifests itself. like if you if you're just like a genial person, of course you're not evil. no like you can have a smile on your face and still cause tremendous harm to other people. You know, there's pictures. I think there's this coffee table book we have at my mom and dad's where it's like Time Life magazine's top 100 photos of the 20th century. And it's this photo of Hitler. You know, he's doing just some sort of like goofy dance or something with his uh, fellow people. Right there. There were elements of Hitler's life where like you would say like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll drink a beer with him. Like, oh, gosh, I know I'm going to get canceled now. (laughs) <laughs> but I I don't know. It's just just an interesting thought that seems somewhat somewhat on point.
2: Yeah, Mike, you should read uh, Hannah Arendt's on her like just the notion of her the human condition. But she she reported on a lot of the trials from uh, World War II, and I think specifically the tri- trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was one of like Hitler's henchmen. And that's I think she coined the term the banality of evil and she was just saying like it was just oh, man. Yeah. um yeah you know it, it was just he was just kind of like following orders in in a way so you, you read it and you're like wow i mean it, it's scary because like that's also kind of the flip side of human nature of like what human beings are capable of
0: yeah Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if evil always manifested itself in this really obvious way, <laughs> evil would pretty much not exist. Right. But but no, it, it integrates itself with familiar, familiar attributes.
3: I mean, isn't that kind of I mean, I, I guess it's a little bit different, but it kind of reminds me of like C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters when he talks about, like, how small of it, like, so if anybody doesn't know about the screw tape letters, so C.S. Lewis, who is, like, a Christian author, wrote a book about pretty much one, a senior demon, is how he coins it, writing to a junior demon on how to get human souls to hell, pretty much. So he's trying to, like, give him advice on how to screw people up. Um, and I think one of the points he makes is, like, how you want to do things very small, Um, And not necessarily obvious or what the people would think of. So I guess it's not the exact same thing you're saying, but it kind of reminded me of it. Like, I think one of the things, like, uh, I think one of the things the senior demon advises the junior demon to do is, like, go to church but not pay attention. Or I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's like it's not what you would think of as, like, oh, if, you know, that that somebody wanted to keep somebody from, in this case, knowing God, but, you know, becoming who they should be you wouldn't think that that's what they would choose. I don't know. It just kind of popped into my head a little bit that it's, I guess it's a kind of a similar vein.
0: You know, the sort of like do something with these thoughts that we have on screw tape letters and sort of, um, banality of evil as father up said, what a great, it's maybe probably the only antidote to that manner in which evil expresses itself is culture. Right, because I I think of well you guys as my friends and other groups of friends too, you know Pope or uh, John Paul II was big on yeah kayaking, um, camping, cool stuff like that, right? And when you have that sort of environment to be in, you know, there's kind of two ways to motivate yourself, right? To level up your life, to get in the right headspace and soul space you watch like a TED talk or five minutes that will change your life from YouTube right and that that like kind of fires you up for about nine minutes <laughs> or you have these you know once or twice or three times a year experiences with friends where you have great conversations right you do something fun maybe mildly challenging and it, has, it changes you in certain ways, right? Because with, as culture is, it affects you in all of these different ways. And uh, gosh, where, where is my point this? Oh, the point is the way I'm sort of imagining it is the way that that affects you, that, that sort of like microculture, if you will, that canoe trip with John Paul II or whoever is that John Paul II in your life. I'm just doing like a thought experiment here. It's like you don't want to let you want to live that ideal life. Right. When you're on these canoe trips, you're like, oh, man. okay, guys, you know what? I am. I'm going to do confession once a month and I'm going to lose, you know, uh, nine pounds and I'm going to go ask that girl on a date. Right. You you idealize this ideal self in your mind when you're within this microculture space like you want you toss out anything that has the slightest stink of evil to it even if it has a smile on your its face
1: Yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around, I don't know, communism seems, like, so distant. If it exists in the world today, it's really far off, or, you know, it was very prevalent still in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, what was it like? What would have been like in Warsaw or Krakow? And, you know, there's 2 million at JP2's rally, but there's another 30 million where they, like, living large and having fun um i i don't know i just wonder the comment on culture and i don't know living joyously is like some of the absence clearly the architectural drab of communism and the lack of color or anything like is communism almost like the absence the absence of culture and Just like we're trying to make everyone so similar that any, you know, uniqueness or difference. Great question, Landon.
3: I read
0: read an article that speaks precisely into this. (laughs) Uh, But I've I've been on the stage a little bit, a lot here. So anyone else have? Maybe someone else read. Maybe someone
3: read a book on this topic. And speaking of books, Mike has a short pamphlet entitled Mike's Five Tips to Change Your Life. Available on the website, of course, for only seven ninety-nine plus shipping and handling.
0: Seven hundred and ninety-nine dollars, my dear Seven hundred and ninety-nine euros.
3: No, I mean it's it's not it's not
0: it doesn't completely answer your question, but it is an interesting relevant point. Um it was an article written by a young woman who's a little bit older than us. I mean, more like 40 or so. And it sounds like someone who was sort of like middle class growing up in communist Poland. And how she described it, she didn't wish that they were back in communist Poland, but she did express a certain kind of nostalgia for it, um, particular to... The nature of communism it seemed like in the way it manifested itself in Poland and how she described it is that things moved like really slow they waited in lines a lot no remote controls they had to get up and change the TV station and that sounds like my childhood honestly those two things um, <laughs> so and it kind of as a helpful point of contrast like Post-communist Poland, things move super fast. You sort of, like, express discontent at, like, the rat rat race that, that we're sort of familiar with in the West. Um, yeah, trying to keep up with things, if you will. So, yeah, it was sort of, it was sort of interesting. And I thought a fairly fair assessment of things. But yeah, I mean, yeah, what was the best life, quote unquote, like for the communists? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Ivan Drago, but he lost. And his son lost, too, 34 (laughs) years later in Creed 2 or (laughs) 3.
3: Creed 2. Okay. So, yeah, I think, I guess, I don't know, to kind of touch on, though, like, I guess maybe the idea of him building a culture to, you know, tear down this oppressive regime, like, I think Rob had shared with me in the past recently, like, a story about, I don't remember, Rob, you could correct me, but something to the effect of someone who was writing on his speech or his homily there said, you know, the people, obviously, when they chanted, we want God for 15 minutes, but they were so in this so in tune with what he was preaching and saying and wanted it so badly that what was it like? Had he held up a crucifix, they would have started, they would have marched behind him down the streets or What was it exactly?
2: Um, There's a story. I think it's from witness to hope by Weigel. And I could have that wrong, which I read in college. Um, But I don't know that it was in victory square, but it was on this trip to Poland, like his nine days there in 79. And at some point he was, he was out on a balcony and it was late and he was singing like just kind of Polish carols and Polish songs with, with the youth that were gathered around him. And I think it was actually the, the crowd that started to hold up crucifixes like in, in their hands. And the reading on it very much was as they were telling him, like, tell us what to do in a sense, like they would follow him wherever whatever he said And so there was kind of this moment where, you know, everything it, you know, like one spark would have set off an incredible fire in a lot of different, different ways. Um, And so had he said, like, go and try to, like, fight and use violence, you know, to overthrow the government or something like that, they would have, like, they would have tried it and he would have had, like a very significant amount of people that would have followed him. But the, apparently what he said was like when they started to do that, he read the situation correctly and he said, let us all go to bed quietly tonight. And then he left and you know, they, everybody left the, the square wherever he was. And then on, they said on his car ride back to his hotel or wherever he was staying the residence that he was staying, he just, he just wept because of the suffering that he saw there. But again, he had this, he had this long view towards, um, what would actually bring change for, for the human person to, to prosper.
3: Yeah. I, that's really cool. And what it kind of reminds me of to maybe make, I don't know, some of our audience better understand it. It reminds me of Dumbledore's army. Um, and Harry Potter. So this idea that. Um, so I'm assuming most of our audience has read Harry Potter. But he's this Dumbledore's this huge figure that's not political. He's not part of the government. He's turned down the appointment several times or something like that. But like the people follow him. And he has so much more power than the pe- than the government does. And he never the government's almost scared of him. Cause they know that and they're like, they're pretty much afraid he's going to start this army and, you know, take over. Um, and I don't know the, um, the, in the book, you know, you've got these kids that are at the time, like I think 16 years old and that's what they call themselves is Dumbledore's army. And like, you're like you're, when you said like the people are pretty much saying in Poland, like, tell us what to do. Like we recognize this is wrong. We want more like, tell us what to do it kind of reminded me a little bit of of those books and like the, the role that he had and probably the wisdom of John Paul II, you know, playing the long game and yeah, don't go burn the government buildings down because that's not going to actually solve the problem. We need this cultural cultural revolution and it just I don't know, it makes me kind of question a little bit like kind of like we said earlier, like there seems to be this kind of wiring for religion, so I feel like we see people kind of grasping at different um, I don't know the right word for it, ghosts of religion today. So like we recognize that things are wrong and we don't have that voice to tell us what to do. So instead of, you know, when we recognize that racism is real or that this is happening or that this is bad, like we don't have that voice that's saying like, hey, right now, like go home and go to bed because we get fired up and we end up, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I just was kind of pondering like, If we had a voice like him, like what other issues could maybe be not solved, but um, improved upon.
0: Man, ghosts of religion. Ross, did you come up with that term right now?
3: Literally, like probably about about a second before I said it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's that's great. You nailed it. Trademark that. Yeah, man, we don't have any voices that tell us to go to bed.
4: I actually
1: feel like Three Dogs North hit upon that several episodes ago. It's like, you can try to, I don't know what you guys were talking about, but there was, is like, I don't know, watching YouTube videos or like reading all the blog posts. And it was like, you just need to like tend to yourself and your family and like go to bed and pray and like. It was like something, you had a good term for like, just end the day. Let the day die, I think.
3: But lucky for our fans, we're going to go all night long.
1: Put it to bed, (laughs) rest.
3: I mean, there's there's so
0: much wisdom in that, right? Because the internet and social media gives us the illusion that... um, that you can solve whatever problem is boiling in your brain right oh man i'm just i'm just gonna comment on this next video or i'm just gonna watch the next video to get a better handle on things or i'm going to whatever whatever right and there's always more videos but that's not the way that our brains work um people you stop listening. Maybe they've stopped listening by this point in the podcast and we need to be cogn- cognizant of it. I mean it's like I'm I'm half joking. I mean that is or even in that like argument with a spouse for those of us who have one of those or just anyone you know you're you're committed to in your life, right? Like you want to um you want to say that one last thing. You want to one up them. But there's a tremendous level of maturity when you realize even if your one upmanship ship is like accurate, that's not the prudent thing, that's not the responsible thing, that's not that's not the moral thing. And yeah, we need we need that JP two to tell us to go to bed
3: literally and metaphorically. Anybody have any big thoughts left out? Like, anything you heard in the speech that was like, oh, that's cool, but, like, we just haven't gotten to yet? Before we close up?
0: I think some uh, some fun facts. Some fun facts. That's a great category, by the way, that uh, we were talking about before. Yeah, what Father Rob was saying about that church in, uh, what was it, Nova Huta? <laughs> you just combined two languages. Nova,
2: Nova Huta. It's N-A-W-A-H-U-T-A.
0: Um. Yeah, that church um, that they end up building, there's a big crucifix that they built there and the crucifix was built from shrapnel of uh, Polish soldiers that different people around Poland had sent in, which I thought was pretty neat. Another example of JP2 not giving the finger he would never do that Maybe giving them the ring finger, pulling a fast one on them. Not actually. Is on uh, the communists. Is the communists, the state came to take a seminary away from his diocese. Um, I guess where he was teaching at. This was after he was a priest. And uh, rather than just giving in and saying, oh, yeah, sure, you're going to have the seminary. You know, what else do you want? He, he, he negotiated with them. And they only got the fourth floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Any other fun facts? Yeah. uh, Man, I read this really long article from Frontline. Classic. Boring PBS. You guys remember your civics class in high school? Like, Frontline Day. That's alright. Any video was awesome back in high school. Um this is really an article on JP two, And it was sort of interesting. They were sort of remarking how he, there was a couple of authors who made the case that he was like this really political priest working underground, uh, sort of like having a um, uh, liberation theology sort of color to his ministry. But the article ended up taking a different direction and saying, like, no, he really wasn't that, which I think is kind of, you know, gosh, thank you boom. I silenced that, uh, which I think is consistent with what we was saying. But, no, they, he took more of this nuanced cultural approach, et cetera, et cetera. And, anyway, it was just interesting coming from, you I mean, obviously front line is, is non as you can get. And it was just interesting the manner in which they sort of affirmed that approach and saw the truth in it. Oh, and something else, too, is that, you know, they found that the most reliable accounts of Cardinal Wojtyla's work as a priest in Poland was from the Soviets or from communist Poland, um, because they were the ones who kept the documentation, you know, like the memorandum that Matt was reading earlier. So. Anyway, yeah, those were some of the fun facts that I wanted to throw in there at some point.
3: Awesome.
2: I would say my last word would be um, just an encouragement for anyone that may be listening to read John Paul. Um, And especially in light of – I don't know that there's another figure, at least right now, with – like his lived experience of of these like different regimes, but then his how he was able to apply like his belief in the human person, which did find its fulfillment in in Jesus, in everything that um, that he was about. But he more so than than anybody else, like when he addresses his letters and his encyclicals to, um, you know, he kinda goes through a, a list to like his brother bishops, to the, the faithful, but then to, to all men and women of goodwill. Of like he had this ability to speak to the human person and his understanding of the human person um was extraordinarily developed and um like very, very sophisticated and, and um just very very on point in in every aspect and it's more important than ever um, today.
4: Maybe to piggyback on that would be, uh, I guess the one thing that's like, or I guess one quote of JP twos. And this is from one of his, encyclicals. He might have even been someone else. I don't know, but it's, uh, basically the glory of God is man fully alive is, uh, something that, that JP two wrote. And I think that's, that might be sort of like the, the, you know, five second version of the speech, you know, that, that he really communicated to these folks that like, um, that the history of Poland, all of these things, you know, it, God is glorified when you live a fully integrated life, when you live a life that's that's um, just very full. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are certain regimes that just don't allow that. So you just do whatever oh, that I, is. I or, don't like, think inevitably, inevitably the regime will fall. Just because it's not that. big enough.
0: St. <laughs> <to>, uh, <laughs> uh, Irenaeus said the, the glory of God is, God is God man fully man to man to alive. Can we get a fact check?
3: Steve just Steve just called me. Steve sent me an email that is, in fact, St. Irenaeus.
0: Yeah, he probably quoted St. Francis of Assisi at some point, too. <laughs> do you know the next line, though, Shaker? Well, I, I the thought glory I, of I God is
2: in alive. And do you know the next line Irenaeus? It, so. yeah. And the glory of man is the vision of God.
3: Mm. Matt, that was not John Paul II that said that. <laughs> mm. I don't think he disagreed with it.
4: All he right, quoted it,
3: Lane. Unless you have a thought, I'm going to close this out. He
4: retweeted it.
3: I don't think he disagreed with it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I didn't. I you know, this is our first uh, speech about God, speech about spiritual matters, and I I didn't think Eastern Europe in the seventies with a speech and I don't didn't strike me on the first five seconds, but there was a a definite spiritual and cultural um, battle, war, movement, transition, just fight for um you know what uh the you know each human soul that that takes place
3: um, so in instead of trying i know our fans right now we're all um, thinking the, how do we start a cultural the evolution relates to a lot and of other than going camping twice a year or starting a podcast i don't have a lot right. of ideas so i'm going to end with um another quote just from the speech so if you guys if everyone wants to think of small things we could do how can i what what, what am i supposed to do here Right, Looking at JB2, what am I supposed to do? So here we go. <clears throat> so he's, he's before the tomb of the unknown soldier. Quote, I wish to kneel before this tomb to venerate every seed that falls into the earth and dies and thus bears fruit. It may be the seed of the blood of a soldier shed on the bat- battlefield, or the sacrifice of martyrdom in concentration camps or in prisons. It may be the seed of hard daily toil with the sweat of one's brow in the fields, the workshop, the mine, the foundries, and the factories. It may be the seed of the love of parents who do not refuse to give life to a new human being and undertake the whole of the task of bringing him up. It may be the seed of creative work in the universities, the higher institutes, the libraries, and the places where the national culture is built. It may be the seed of prayer, of service of the sick, the suffering, the, abandon, uh, the abandoned, all of... All that of which Poland is made.